Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You are now listening to the Paging Dr. Shonda podcast, where we talk all things related to mental health, life lessons, and the culture. My goal is to help each and every listener pursue and center wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Shonda, licensed clinical psychologist. Now let's get into it. Somebody say it's a confidence for me. It's a confidence for me. I'm just going to say it confidently. Say it's the confidence for me. It's the confidence for me. Um, and based on those traumas that we experienced during slavery, some of those same behaviors, the attitudes, um, you know, the belief systems that we adopted as slaves can be passed down to generations after that. Um, and that is why we see like the hyper. Yeah, amen. You're a treasure, um, Dr. Chandra Reynolds. Yeah. Uh, thank you so I'm much. Just shutting up and listening. I'm learning so much. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You are now tuned in to the Paging Dr. Shonda podcast, where we talk about all things related to Black people, mental health, and faith. I am your host, Dr. Shonda, and I am joined today by none other than Mr. Conscious Lee. Listen, I am so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, yeah. So it is our Black History Month special this month, all month long. So it's definitely an honor for you to be here. Um, Real quick, I'm just going to read your bio a bit, and then I'm going to have you introduce yourself. Uh, So social media sensation consciously isn't your typical professor, education consultant, diversity, equity, inclusion professional, and you don't want him to be. The Brian Texas, I didn't know you were from Texas. We cousins, okay. Really? Uh, has over <laughs> 2 million followers on social media, being named YouTube Content Creator Choice of the Year in 2022. Mr. Lee has a virtual presence that impacts many as a current Young Turks contributor and a part of the YouTube Black Voice Creator Class of 2022 and recently nominated for an NAACP award. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Also, so tell us a bit about yourself. Uh yeah, uh born and raised in Bryan, Texas, fit in love with education. Nice. Um, like to uh navigate around and through respectability politics. Um, kind of consider myself a professional shit talker in many different ways. Period. Uh really that's it, really. I like uh, you know, education's elevation. That's my motto. When you see me or hear my voice, just know you ain't got to do no SAT, you ain't got to do no okay. ACT, you ain't got to enroll nowhere, but if you give me your undivided attention, I'm gonna give you some uh college level type information or perspective, and sometimes even like a upper division, you know what I'm saying? You ain't even gotta go through okay. the prereqs. I love that. I love that you're providing information to the masses. Um, we're definitely gonna hop into that, but I want to backtrack. So you're from Bryan, Texas. Um, I'm not familiar with that area, but I know my family's from Bangs, Texas, which you're probably not familiar with. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I'm like uh, my hometown is about like an hour and a half from Houston. Oh, okay. So we, yeah, we're probably around that area. Our countryside is like this: the sticks, like nobody lives yeah. out there. <laughs> That's dope, though. So you're currently located in Texas? Yeah, I just moved. I just uh, I graduated from the University of Oklahoma, and that's why I was teaching at its professor. Nice. Um, I decided I wanted my kids to be around some old black people. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so I moved to Houston. So I, now I live in Houston. Awesome. I live, you know, closest to my hometown, around a lot more people of color, around uh, a lot more sense of community and, you know, right. resources. And you feel me? A, a bigger airport. So. I love it. I love it. I'm sure your your kids are going to value that experience as they get older, like that decision for you to move them from that area to an area where they're more immersed in black culture. Um, yeah. 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 
I mean, I've already seen the differences, honestly. Yeah. I've already seen huge differences from their personality to the way that they relate to the classroom because they got black teachers now, uh, to the way that they're able to be around more family. Um, you know, my uh, my my daughter, my oldest, starting to get a little more flavor, a little more spunk, right. a little bit more, you know what I'm saying, pizzazz. So that's nice. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, that's that's really like racial socialization. I love it. And honestly, I talk about how like I wish I had more of that as a kid. Right. So I grew up in Delaware. My family's from Texas, but I grew up in Delaware. <laughs> Right. Listen, Mr. Lee, you don't got to make your face like that. Y'all, if you can't see his face, he's in <laughs> Delaware right now. <laughs> hey, listen, I just came from Rhode Island and I made yeah. some videos about Rhode Island. OK. And the way that the white liberal white progressives of Rhode Island gaslit me, it pissed mm-hmm. me off. Really? So me knowing the unique history of Delaware mm-hmm. and, you know, what I'm saying uh, how as it pertains to. Uh, slavery as it pertains to civil rights, like the uniqueness of Delaware. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine how folks would try to like gaslight me. So that's the reason why I had that look is that no. I know Delaware is hella close to Rhode Island. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm dealing with the same type of Northern progressive liberal that yeah. feel like, Hey, we have our issues here, but we're the one of the most progressive. And it's like, Hey, listen, most yeah. progressive to who? Not the natives that's here. Not mm-hmm. the black folks that's here. Not the so you know what I mean. That's why. That's why I digress though. You know, no, right? no, Delaware, I, Delawareans. <laughs> no, I I'm here for <laughs> Delaware. Uh, we have I, I like my people in Delaware, but you're right. So we definitely have um, our issues, and one of the reasons why I was motivated to move out of there and to be in the DMV, DC, aka Chocolate City, is yeah. because of the the gaslighting that we did experience growing up in Delaware. So. Um, being in a predominantly white neighborhood, right? I remember the earliest experience I had when my parents bought their first home. The next morning we woke up, there was a, mo- a broke down motorcycle in our yard with the letters KKK on it. You can't tell me Delaware is not racist. And when you report stuff like that to the police and stuff, they tell you all the time, oh, Delaware isn't racist. So it's a lot of gaslighting in Delaware, uh, which I say has led me to, of course, like, you know, speaking truth to power about it and also wanting to be more immersed in black people and black culture and living amongst people who I associate with my people. So I'm hey, here. I think it. I just been inspired. I'm going to write this down right now. I think I just <laughs> been inspired right now. I think the video, I'm going to start my TikTok video by saying the Nile River is in Egypt, but it's also the Nile in the Northeast. I'm just going to kind of just talk about the, like, you know, just like, I I really, it really made me feel some type of way. And it wasn't my first time being in the Northeast, but my first time being in Rhode Island. And I just see a pattern, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like I ain't even got to go to the other states for me to be able to make the, make the analysis. Right. You know, I'm a debater. I like being proved wrong. So it's like, if anybody feel froggy enough to, you know, challenge what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Putting down, I'm obviously open to having my mind alter the change. Yeah. But I think that there is an analysis to be made. And the word I'm thinking of is the politics of niceness. Like, hey, white man, yeah. white woman, you're not cool thinking that. I'm a Southerner now. I'm born and raised down here. You're not going to play me with any of this trickery, man. Stop stop playing with me. <laughs> and that's really how I felt. Like, bro, really, yeah. social my intelligence. It was like a white Emmy Award winning journalist on Twitter that responded to my random video about how Rhode Island was a weird place. And because he felt some way, he, we had like a little back and forth mm-hmm. and you know, I'm triggered right now because you brought up Delaware. Yeah. We can move on. I'm sorry. No, we, no, we good. I like the emotion. My, my listeners want to hear this. <laughs> yeah. Nah, for real, because it's, it's real. And a lot of the denial that we experience and the gaslighting that we experience as black people, uh, this ain't new to us. Like this is historical. So I'm right there with you. Um, I get gaslit 
a lot in my DMs and comments and such. I think they think because like I'm mostly quiet and I identify as a Christian that I ain't going to say nothing, but I clap back. Like, I don't want y'all to ever think like I'm not going to say Got to. Got to. These folks <laughs> hit you with the, uh, madam, at least you're not a Negro down South. We treat our Negroes better here. And Come for on. me, it's like, hey, the, the superiority complex that you setting up is very paternalistic. They said, I better be grateful. I better be appreciative of what I get, even though, because it could be worse. Like, hey, man, don't do me like that. Right. And somebody actually commented something similar like that um, not too long ago. But my my temperature starting to rise. So I'm going to move on to the next question. <laughs> um, yes. OK, so talk to us a bit about uh, your educational background and how that has contributed to your willingness and desire to want to educate people, especially about the black experience. Man, I uh, I really say the first time I felt truly liberated was in the classroom with me being able to uh, with me learning how to say what I mean and mean what I say. Mm -hmm. uh, when I went to college, I started off as a political science major. And I never forget this. I took an international politics class. And uh, it took like the first two or three lectures rubbed me the wrong so bad that not only did I drop the class, I changed my major from uh, political science to African and African-American studies. And I think that was real instrumental in how I uh, expressed myself and uh, what I learned. Uh, when I went to uh, AFAM, to uh, African-American studies, I had met this uh, white dude by the name of Paul Eichert, and he was a uh, avid debater. He was on a policy debate team. And I had got into it with this uh, classmate of mine about Chuck Berry and rock and roll. You feel me? And uh, the dude was like, hey, have you thought about joining the policy debate team? I was like, nah, not really, not interested. Uh, eventually, I ended up joining the team. And I think that that was really like uh, instrumental in how I fell in love with education. And then when I got good in debate, how it works is other colleges will invite you like, hey, UT, we think that UT, University of Texas invited me. A few other colleges invited me to go teach like to... Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. To, to, to high school students, you know how, like, top athletes that be in college, they get invited to, like, high school camps. So, like, maybe you're All-American in football and this random state wants you to go to this football camp and teach the youngsters how to play your position. That's how debate is as well. And when I did that, that's really when I was like, you know what? I really love teaching. I love being in front of this classroom. Nice. I like talking about philosophy and theory and history. I like talking about identity, race, class, gender, ability, sexuality, religion, whatever, you know what I'm saying? So I, this, 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 this is my place. <laughs> I love that. And I think that your your fruit is definitely being uh, manifested even on TikTok. So I'm new to TikTok. I'm a new TikToker or whatever. Um, but you were definitely one of the first accounts that I have followed because of how much uh, education and the philosophies that you do discuss. Um, it's definitely an invaluable experience just following you and uh, listening okay. to the way you talk. Of course. Yeah. Um, so it's amazing. I love that you, uh, you, you say you switched a major to find out you were talented. Yeah, I switched my major, but it, it, yeah, it turned me out so bad. It turned me out so bad. Like now I can give a whole analysis probably about how I understand like, like, like while I switched, cause I understand it now. I was young then. I ain't had a language, the verbiage, but it really was like you trying to teach me a European universalized way that is uh, 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 basically teach me how to how to how to 
uphold American hegemony in a international realm and making it where I always already believe that America and America being the global leader is what is able to keep global stability. And it was like, man, you know, I'm, I'm not a fool. It, it was so much, you know what I'm saying? As a young 18 year old, I was like, man, this and fresh out the hood too. Fresh out the hood, first generation student, you know what I'm saying? Uh, my daddy had probably just got busted. My mama was just, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, doing getting back on drugs. So I'm really going through a lot of life at that time. So I really feel like it was just certain stuff I just wasn't trying to go for. So that right there made it was like, man, I really, I got, I ain't trying to go for this. Yeah, let me move around. You know what I'm saying? It probably was one of the best decisions I made, but you know, though I feel like those are the types of decisions that really pushes us into our purpose. Right. So I I love that for you. Um, you you said you gave a little bit of your background pertaining to your your parents and family and upbringing. Do you feel as though that has contributed to uh, your your trajectory in terms of education and talking and helping other people? Yeah, I say I say it's I say it's contributed to it the most. Mama had me when she was 16 years old, uh, you know, uh, being being raised by somebody that's also kind of going through their adolescent stage has mm-hmm. like really impacted how I was able to understand the world and kind of the relationship that me and my mother have. So, uh, yeah, really just thinking about how the prison industrial complex has kind of shaped my reality for my mom and daddy going, you know, what I'm saying in and out of jail to my mom, you know, what I'm saying uh, potentially facing incarceration right now. To you know, uh, uh, having cousins and, and, and homeboys, and, and you know what I'm saying, and, and sisters that's been you know what I'm saying incarcerated for a little time with this, that, and the other. I say that uh, me being able to grow up and seeing from a from from a personal standpoint how 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 easy it is to be convicted, how easy it is to be you know what I'm saying. I think I think they definitely impacted it, and then you know I feel like being a southerner, being a southerner, being being raised by two black people. Uh, yeah, it's just. Yeah. I, first of all, I love how transparent you are. Um, and you're kind of like going into my next question. So talking about like, especially for black people, the criminalization of black people and how that's so different to our white counterparts. Um, so I want to transition into talking a bit about like some of your recent social media posts, uh, because, you know, people love that about you. They love your social media posts because it's so educational. Um, you recently had a post about the difference between the crack epidemic and the opioid epidemic and how uh, black people and white people were treated completely differently. Right. So the crack epidemic was more so treated from a lens of criminalization, whereas the opioid crisis was more so treated as from a lens of uh, rehabilitation. Um yeah. So, yeah. So t- talk to us about that. I mean, I think that we all can recognize that there were two epidemics and both of them were treated uh, very, very differently. Uh, when I was in college, uh, the state that I was in was seen as one of the most harshest states when it comes to uh, marijuana conviction in my home state, Texas, was not. Uh, my father, you know, what I'm saying a drug dealer was uh, uh, got a plea deal of 15 years for um it was eighteen thousand dollars of cash nine pounds of marijuana this white boy that i was going to school with in oklahoma at the same time the state is seen as being the most harsh uh he had more cash and more weed than my father did and he didn't receive any jail time so when i think about that and then after that i seen that a few of my college classmates you feel me got addicted you know what i'm saying they got addicted to opioids and seeing the response that they got and how much empathy and sympathy they received and how much rehabilitation, like rehabilitation they seen. Mm-hmm. And then thinking about at that same time, 
uh, my mother was on the run because she had done some things while she, you know I'm saying being addicted. You feel me? And I seen how my mother got sent to her rehabilitation that was a part of Texas Department of Corrections. You know what I'm saying? Or it was a drug program, but she was also in jail. You know what I'm saying? And then seeing how, you know, these 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 white this white girl and this white man got treated, your white woman and white men got treated in college. You feel me? Maybe it made me yeah. really think about the differences. So I feel like if I was to get philosophical, I would think that the the uh the pathology that black people we face, anything that can justify and or confirm that we messed up, that we irrational, that we mm-hmm. can't control ourselves, that mm-hmm. we addicts, that we stupid, that we dumb, that we fools, is usually something that is supercharged or something that can be like like we told you these black folks is x y and z yeah. and i think that when it's the other way around it's seen as kind of a a uh a a, a an exception to the rules so we got to mm-hmm. figure out how to whip it back in line mm-hmm. and i think that's kind of one of the differences and then yeah yeah so so what you're talking about here is um definitely something that we we all see right in all communities it actually reminds me of i forgot the the psychologist's name but she coined the term uh the misdiagnosis to prison pipeline and how oftentimes, like where black people, we might experience some sort of whether it's a behavioral concern or a mental health concern or even substance abuse related concern. And these things aren't diagnosed in our community. We're, we're more criminalized. Right. We're labeled as being barbaric and uh, just unhinged people, whereas our white counterparts are more likely to receive the diagnosis than the proper uh, treatment. Um, so, yeah. yeah, man, listen. Say so right now it's uh, it's January. February. How long ago? I got I got diagnosed with a few months ago. Got diagnosed a few months ago with ADHD. And when I got diagnosed with ADHD, I got a little bit of I, got, I feel like now now thinking about it, I, I experienced two things. And the other part, I wasn't able to think about what it was. I initially felt liberated thinking like, man, now that I understand this about myself, I don't feel as crazy. But another part made me think about, man, I can the more I reflect on different memories that I have from middle school, high school, elementary. We talking about the prison, prison school to prison pipeline or prison industrial complex. And it's thinking about, hey, a lot of my homeboys probably also had ADHD. And because they because they because it wasn't seen as that, it was seen as confirmation bias. Like, hey, these little Negro children don't know how to act or they can't be controlled. So I'm really thinking about how I was lucky or how I really I have survival guilt in some instances. Like, man, wow. I'm one of the neuro spicy black men or black boys that was able to navigate through criminalization, navigate through stigmatization, navigate through somebody counting me out or thinking the less of me. And I think that, you know, I got blessed with being able to be charming and being able to be charismatic at a young age. Mm-hmm. And, you know, white folks, you feel me? respond differently <laughs> when you're able to be charismatic and, 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 you know what I'm saying? Charming. But I definitely think about a lot of my homeboys that's I'm 32. I just turned 32 in December. I got a lot of homeboys. They've been going in and out of jail in and out of the system. Wow. since I was like 15 years old, 14 years old. You know what wow. I'm saying? I got homeboys that's really spent more time in jail than they spent alive in half of them. I think that if there was, Oh, like, I feel like if they were, 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 were seen, or, or their mental health was accounted for, I believe that they would be diagnosed with something. I'm not, a, again, I, I feel, I'm not trying to step on no toes. No, I'm not a psychiatrist. Right. I know you feel me, but I do have a little knowledge of the DSM. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I do think very, I feel like consciously about how other people, I feel like I, feel like I got a high emotional intelligence, even though yeah. I got ADHD. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, that's something that I think about though. Like, man, yeah. man. 
No, you you're absolutely right because it's interesting because when you when you had posted it, I actually um I stitched it and talked about the the misdiagnosis to prison pipeline because when I hear about um, experiences like that, I'm on the opposite end. I'm doing the diagnosing, mm-hmm. right? So it's interesting to hear somebody's perspective, like who was diagnosed as an adult, and like the liberation you experienced, and even how um it can explain like some of the things that you might have experienced in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, But even thinking about like the survivor's guilt, right? So that's something I didn't think about when I heard you talk about like, yo, I was recently diagnosed with this. I ain't saying that. I'm just saying, man, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. Yeah, yeah. That was just something I was, it it never crossed my mind for someone to have those thoughts like, wow, I made it out, but this person didn't. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Um, But it absolutely makes sense. Yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. definitely. I, yeah, I feel like my mind just races thinking about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, almost, I feel like making me kind of emotional, if I'm being real. It makes me emotional to think about the trials and tribulations in the way that I, I personally have been dispositioned and positioned. You know what I'm saying? Maybe voluntarily or involuntarily. Mm-hmm. And then thinking about the other individuals that I grew up with that maybe wasn't able to uh, uh, determine they dispositions and positions is the way I was, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And it's just something to really think about, you know what I mean? And, 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 and really, it's something to really think about. I feel like mm-hmm. if I wasn't, if I hadn't worked my way into the middle class, if I didn't go to grad school, I wouldn't have never been in a place to even not only access the psychiatrist and the therapist and all that, I wouldn't mm-hmm. have the ability as well to even think about myself in that way. You feel right. me? I'm, I'm born and raised in down South. So if I can't pray it away or if I can't, you know what I'm saying? I, I like it's really how I was raised. You see what I'm saying? So I, I, I had to really think about how privileged I was to be able to almost in some instance distance the way that I think about my mental health as being tied to to to, you know, this type of trauma. You feel me? And pathology mm-hmm. in terms of religion or in terms of you feel me and really be able to handle that. And I think about even even now I got to accomplish all this stuff. If I talk about ADHD to my family members, the people I grew up around, it's not understood. You feel me? Yeah. Uh, in the 90s and the early 2000s, the, the media and the people that we was raised by did a, a, a damn good job in indoctrinating us. Like, hey, listen, man, this ADD, ADHD nonsense, this is what young white boys get diagnosed with and they just need their ass whooped. Absolutely. They, they, just need, they, they, they ain't got no discipline. Yeah. They got they, they got their ass a couple times. They'll be all right. I don't want to hear nothing from you. We ain't finna diagnose you with nothing. We ain't yeah. trying to give you no medication. Sit, sit still, shut up. I'm with X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z. And now that I've mm-hmm. learned I got ADHD and think about the way that my executive functioning work and my emotional mm-hmm. dysregulation work and how I've internalized a lot of different insecurities and different, you know what I'm saying, things, I can think about how specifically ADHD notions has led to that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And then when I flip it, though, when I flip it, I'm thinking about the ways in which, again, homeboys and homegirls. I know that women are un- undiagnosed and there's a whole nother thing. And then black women even in that. So really even thinking about all the way around, like mm-hmm. I can think about a few people that I think that they, they had, they showed ADHD symptoms and their ADHD symptoms was seen as a result or a notion of them being a bad student, bad person or justified their criminalization. And that makes me, you know, emotional, even thinking about it, right? Because 
what we're talking about here is like the that overlook that we experience as black people. Um, because unfortunately, there is significantly this this idea of um, classism associated with mental health. Right. Like if you're not in a particular class, if you can't afford it, if you can't go to the doctor or whatever, you, you're not going to get access to the, the things that you might need help with. And so a part of this is definitely like unlearning um, some of these notions that we do have about mental health. Um, but so yeah, many thoughts. Yeah. Are coming well, I mean, the way what you just said, let me think about it. Yeah. When I go to my 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 uh, primary physician care, my my PCP, I'm trying, I'm trying to learn the. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm asked these questions. So I just moved to Houston, so I'm getting a new one, right? I'm being asked these questions, and to come out that she's like, "All right, we gonna. I think that you got anxiety and you depressed, and I think that you should go see somebody, an actual person, to get diagnosed for ADHD because I don't do that." I'm born and raised in the hood, and I'm first like you know what I'm saying. I'm just, I'm just, I just was, I just was eating sleep for dinner. You feel me? Ten years ago, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So when I'm told I got depression and anxiety, my first mind is like, that's some rich white people shit. Well, it's like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Negro. I'm a nigga. Right. I'm a black. I'm a. What you mean that? I don't, I don't have time <laughs> to be depressed. I don't. I mean, even if that is true. Yeah, I can't pay attention. I gotta keep on. You know what I'm saying? So, so like, so like, even though what this is, this, 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 the month we like, what I'm still processing. You know what I'm saying? I'm still thinking about like, all right, what, what, what does it mean to be depressed? What is this, that, and the other? Because in my mind, I think of myself being a very chipper, optimistic, happy person. You know what I'm saying? But, but you know, still sitting with that. But I'm recognizing it's like, hey, as a person that come from where I come from, it's like, hey. I don't even know how to take you telling me I'm depressed because mm. that's like, you know, and because yeah. I, I, I always, into being real, I, 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 I trained myself and taught myself to think about a lot of conditions like that or feelings mm. like that as being like a mind over matter type thing. You know what I'm saying? And then I have to like, like I'm still having to unlearn. Even that, you feel me? Like, what? Mind of a matter? You depressed right. if you think you're depressed. You know what I'm saying? If you're depressed because six wine this, but you got to be able to, you know what I mean? And it's hard to, like, I know better, but it's 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 it's, it's been ingrained in me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Some of them tattoo, some of those feelings and the coping mechanisms is tattooed on me. And, sh- you know, tattoo removal is a lot harder than, you know what I'm saying, getting a tattoo. You know what I'm saying? So I think that when you think about that from like an unlearning yeah. healing standpoint, it's like a lot to a lot to do, especially when you move back home when you're around the people that you learned it from. When I was in Oklahoma, right. I figured out that it was easy for me to deal with my childhood trauma, my emotions, my insecurity, because I was secluded, me, my wife, and my kids. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm back at the crib and I'm having to be around folks that I was, you know what I'm saying, my family, me, my cousins, my homeboys, my, 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 my sisters, homegirls, you feel me? Gender non-conforming people I grew up with that's now come to the realization who they is and what they is. Yeah. Everything hit different because you really getting triggered so much by different things. You getting triggered by stuff you didn't even know that was there. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, it's just a, a journey. <laughs> it really is. And I, I like how you even point out, like, going back to the environment that you were reared in can definitely resurface some of those, like, belief systems we had. How we grew up, those emotions we had when we was growing up with them. Like, Oh, God. Yeah. On, on, yeah. On everything I love. On everything I love and stand for and believe. Like what? Like tomorrow, I'm getting invited to go speak to a a a, a like a disciplinary like alternative school in my hometown. Brian, you feel me? It's gonna be easy for me to get there. When I get there, 
I'm already understanding I'm going to be triggered with a whole bunch of different feelings and emotions because when I taught in the alternative school as a ninth and 10th grade English teacher in Oklahoma City, man, that's when I had to, that's when I learned how to go to therapy. It was like, man, I, it's been so long since I've been in an environment like this, around personalities like this, around situations and trauma and stress like this, that I forgot. And I, man, I, and I realized I had some unresolved, man, I'm talking about if if I'm if I was 30 or 31 when that was going on, the like 16-year-old George Lee, not consciously, mm-hmm. the 17-year-old George Lee, not consciously, the 18-year-old George Lee, not consciously, mm-hmm. everything that I felt when I was that young, when I had to deal with, you feel me, either it was being bullied or being ostracized or being underestimated or feeling like a, you know what I'm saying, a, a administration or, you know what I'm saying, trying to, trying to uh, like push over me or course me. Or, it was so much stuff I, man, like what, when you around the kid and they mama and daddy is, 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 is on drugs or they daddy, it, it, it relates to yours. And you forgot about like, like, man, what you 15 years old, you in ninth grade. You ain't seen, you know what I'm saying? Like dealing with them type of what? And then seeing like, it was so much, it was so much stuff, man. 80% of my students though had learning disabilities. If I had 20 students, two of them was white. Wow. 18 of them was, you know what I'm saying, Hispanic and black. 80% of them got learning disabilities. The school district recognized they got learning disabilities. They don't give a damn. They still making me teach these kids at a ninth grade English level. And we acknowledging that at best, and one of them got a sixth grade, you know what I'm saying, a, a, a reading level. So instead of me being able to completely modify, they may, I really restructure it. Like, forget modify. Like, you are already acknowledging. Oh, man. And then it didn't, it didn't take a fool to realize, all right, I got a master's in adult and education. So I understand how education works from a policy standpoint. Mm-hmm. Y'all get paid off of the, off the testing. These kids you didn't sent to my classroom, they going to tank your testing. You got him out your classroom. Now I'm sitting in here. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was, it was young. Yeah, yeah ran over though. You just, you just no. took me back. You just took me back. Like, no, like, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Like, this is all valuable information. Um, because I've worked in the school system as well, temporarily. But a lot of times, the the parents don't even know that a lot of this stuff is going on. Oh God. Yeah. I feel as though like the more people, um, especially like parents and guardians or whatever, once they learn like the things that are happening in some of these school systems, they will be able to better advocate for their children who do have these learning disorders, who aren't getting the support that they need. Well, it was so many <laughs> So I was teaching then the pandemic. So I'm already getting the and I'm already getting the 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 shortcomings exposed to me. From a virtual standpoint, mm-hmm. because it was virtual, so I was able to see how unorganized, how 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 lack the funding, how most of my students didn't. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba da ba ba ba. Have resources like access to internet or Wi-Fi or good ones, you know what I'm saying? When I got students sitting in the 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 in McDonald's because they got free internet over there, and that's how they getting they kind of coming to school, it's like, dang, that's crazy. Now, don't get me wrong, students in the school tried to give like some hot spots and things like that, but you know what I'm saying? They had to do what they had to do. But I never forget the first day went to school. I'm from I'm from country town. So all the white, black, Mexican, we all went to the same school. So I didn't never have to experience this. The first day of school, 
for my students to even receive breakfast, let alone get in my classroom. They had to walk through a metal detector. Hmm. Now, this is my first day teaching or my first day showing up. And, you know, they got they got the SROs, the little the little police officers. I'll never forget this. I'm walking in to the school. And I got to go through the metal detector. I'm already feeling like a little annoyed by that. You know what I'm saying? I get through there. And, you know, I look young. I know I look young. I get it. You know what I'm saying? But the way he tried to, the way this police officer handled me and I ain't do nothing. It was just in the morning. He was just moving my body and like I, it, it pissed me off. Yeah. Every day I went to class or at least twice a week, three times a week, two or three times a week. I think like, man, you got to get criminal. My motto was education is elevation. You got to go through criminalization and sit in my classroom. Them white folks is not going to have their students or their kids walking through no things. Then I start. I think I did a video of this in the classroom. Statistically, school shootings are more likely to happen on that side of town. I've never went to school with nobody that said they go through metal detectors. I've never heard about those demographics being normalized to go through metal detectors. You talk to any black student in, in, in America that went to school in inner city, they're going to say it was a part of their everyday experience. That's mm-hmm. a problem right there. And think about the psychology. If me as a teacher felt some type of way, like, man, I don't even, as a black man that's teaching, I, don't, I feel weird. You just did that to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Damn. And even that it's crazy. No, because like even you you talking about it. Um, when I was in the, the school system, they had medical metal detectors as well. Um in like downtown DC. And it's not regular. It's not. Right. It, but like think about the message that this sends the kids. Yeah. Like think about like the internalization of like the, the different themes that they're they're internalizing. So like you know, believing that they're a criminal. Like believing that, like they have to <laughs> go through these these experiences in order to get educated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we started. So at a point in time, you really just I, I figured out when I was in college and I was doing policy debate. You know what I'm saying? And, and when I started, like when I got ranked in like the top sixteen in the country, that's when I really started having top level debates and started debating against the best best talent in the country. And, and, and when we started having debates about like pedagogy and debates about, you know, what I'm saying school systems and, and taxing and school funding, it became obvious that in the way that I experienced school, the prioritization was more on controlling bodies and less about what you're putting into minds and thinking about how I was kind of at a at a at a disadvantage when I started debating against these people that got the leisure time. They didn't read Frederick Nietzsche and Agamben and Michelle Foucault and all these Postmodernist, structuralist theorists, philosophers, and you know what I'm saying. I haven't been exposed to it. I haven't had the leisure or a privilege to be exposed to it. And I'm I'm debating with Tupac lyrics. You know what I'm saying. It was very empowering. I won. Yeah. You know what I mean. But you start to really think about uh, a lot of stuff. <laughs> when you were teaching in the school system, um, I know you said you were at a, a disciplinary school, but prior yeah. to that, were you at a charter school? Now, prior to that, I was a professor at OU. Prior to that, I was only like, that was, I, 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 I realized that I'm really a college professor. I like to cuss. I like to do what I want to do, get my academic freedom, damn it. And if, you know what I mean, I don't want to talk to no parents, you know what I'm saying? You turn the work in, you good, you don't, you won't. It's that simple. I don't, you know what I mean? Working that one year in high school, it really showed me like, hey, uh, peace and, 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 and love and, and, and prosperity. To all the teachers K through 12, y'all really doing the Lord's work. Uh, I respect what you got going on. And uh, it ain't for the, you know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't for me. I'm just, you feel me? I ain't, I wasn't built for it. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, no, I'm the same way. I asked um, because I know like chart. I was at a charter school and those charter schools definitely have a history. Um, all schools in general, but especially charter schools have a history of wanting to like control those black bodies, keeping everybody aligned. Yeah. Like it's weird. Um, <laughs> you look like you're thinking something. Uh, no, nah, I'm listening to you. I'm just, oh. yeah, I'm, you know what I mean? That's, that's how, that's how I, uh, yeah. We be good. We be good. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to cut you off. I didn't want you to lose your train of thought. Uh, but yeah, no. So so teaching at the, the collegiate level is, is definitely different. Um, so I, I teach on and off as a, like an adjunct or whatever. But I even think that sometimes like those experiences can be criminalizing the students as well. Um, like <laughs> I know like the university I was at, they had metal detector detectors. I mean, even thinking about like how. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll have you give your thoughts first, and then I'll give mine on like the actual curriculum. I mean, just from a, a body standpoint, yeah. I think that especially when you talk about like Power Five conferences, there is a lot of like more nuanced and criminality, like deviance that's placed on the black bodies, especially if you're not an athlete. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm literally, I'm one of the top ranked debaters in the country. Me and my debate partner both black. When we walk around the University of Oklahoma as the, you know saying, as, as college students, we always already stereotyped to be a, a, a football player, basketball player, and understood that the only way or understood that the only way we can get into the campus or the university was through affirmative action. So for me, it's already a, a, a process of otherization that's making it what you've seen as exposable and disposable to the, you know I'm saying, to the student population. Especially if you, you know what I'm saying, you walk on campus, you ain't got no backpack on, your body already seen as being a potential intruder. I think there's a level of criminalization that goes on to that. So, so not to make it like college universities are just immune from anti-blackness or from right. doing messed up stuff to black people. Because we know damn near like two or three times a semester, mm-hmm. universities get caught up in that news for blackface or for saying the N-word or for this, that, and the other or for this, that, and the other. So we know this is something that happens throughout all the time. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that from a curriculum standpoint, shh, man... I, I always say from an educational, like for me being education background, the way that I explain white privilege is being able to talk about whose history is a part of the core curriculum and whose history is an elective. And then thinking about and from a college standpoint, like what's in the gen ed and, you know, what I'm saying like what's considered Western civilization and what's considered non-Western civilization. And then, you know, foreign languages. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm going to school. I went to college in Indian country. You said in a what country? In Indian country, basically, okay. what the white folks call Indian country. I went mm-hmm. to school in Oklahoma. That's where the Trail of Tears was when they got sent that. You know what my foreign language was? What? Cherokee. Hmm. People take, you got to get a, you know, especially when you're in the humanities, you got to take two, you got to get two foreign language credits to be able to X, Y, and Z, or three, actually. You know what I'm saying? Three. Mine was Cherokee. Wow. Cherokee was considered a foreign language. Wow. So we can already get into just right. the various ways that it's some it's some it's, it's some it's some funny business going on. Or yeah. a lot of times, you know, some of the African American studies courses were seen as 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 electives for non-Western civilizations. So it's like, hold on, now, goddamn, what? So you know, <laughs> and I said GOT too. My bad. No, nah, you're good. You're good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I apologize. Nah, you're good. You're good. Uh, I'm realizing the time we could go on and on about this but not like going talking about your point of um privilege is deciding whose history is an elective i went to an hbcu and i granted i love my hbcu but psychology i feel like is like 
200 years behind, right? So I took black psychology as an elective at an HBCU. One black class, well, no, I'm sorry. Two black classes were taught by black professors in psychology at an HBCU. Yeah. It's so problematic. It's so problematic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm realizing the time. I know we got to go. So listen, tell the people where they can find you, how we can vote for you for your NAACP award, because you're going to win. I know you are. I'm I hope so. I hope so. You you're know? speaking it into existence speaking here. into existence. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, I feel like it's just, it's just, it's just showing uh, a little respect and camaraderie to the, to, to the other uh, nominees, the, uh, talented amazing black folks because hey, the competition real fierce but uh yeah uh the consciously on all social media platforms uh the consciously.com that's where you can uh find the, uh really everything i do from the link to the naacp awards in the bio on all my social media platforms to being able to grab you some education is elevation merch to being able to uh uh, uh see information about the online class that I have about identity politics to get more information on the books I have up, uh, upcoming, you know, the consciously on all social media platforms, the consciously.com and thank y'all in advance for when you vote, you know what I'm saying? Just make sure that you're able to verify that email when they send it to you. Cause you're going to go to go to the website. Boom. Right. You're going to be like, I want to vote for George Lee consciously. Boom. In the email, then NAACP going to send you an email to make sure it's a real email to confirm the vote. So I need you to also confirm the vote. You know what I mean? Okay, that's good to know because I didn't know that when voting. Mm-hmm. All right, cool, cool, awesome. Listen, consciously, it was such a pleasure having you. Thank you. I appreciate you for inviting me on. And I know yeah. we, we, we made it happen quickly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Happy Black History Month to everybody, and try to make sure you keep the same energy outside of the month. You know what I'm saying? Like you know, uh, Black twenty four seven. And you know, if you only think about uh, blackness and black people and black history very purposefully or intentionally only in February. Congratulations. You are a part of the problem and you have a very fungible relationship to blackness and black people. And I think you a sucker. That's it. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> we think you a sucker. All right. <laughs> so definitely appreciate you. Listen to all the listeners, make sure that you are tuning in all month long for black history month. And don't forget you have the power to create the emotions that you want to experience. God bless. And we'll talk to y'all next week. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut-off? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.